Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. Excuse me. Could you give me the number at the sorority house? Please. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, fellatio 20880. Fellatio. It's a, it's a new exchange, F-E. It's a new one on me. another episode of surviving chick flicks i'm alive you, you said sammy your name's not agnes well, we'll get this into is gonna that. be an episode y'all yeah it, sammy's prepped for a fight apparently but this week we are continuing what i'm still calling sammy's christmas month even though this is technically my pick but this week we are talking about the 1974 horror christmas film black christmas and we have a special guest on uh, Roxy, you want to introduce yourself? Hey there, I am Roxy. I am first and foremost Sammy's uh, sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am an avid film person, like horror films. I'm actually a makeup artist. I live in LA and I do beauty makeup, special effects mo movie makeup. So I'm always down to watch a slasher film because there's blood, and that's typically makes me very happy. Except for this Which week, is a big when there's part not of much the reason blood. it occurred to me that you would be an awesome guest for this uh, for this particular episode. I did actually. So I did make a note about the blood at one point, and mm -hmm. there was one thing that like we looked up afterwards, and I was just like, "Well, that's a bullshit answer." <laughs> <laughs> that had to do with the lack of blood. So why don't we play the trailer real quick, and then we'll get into Sammy yelling at me for 90 minutes. <laughs> My mother's taking a place up at Mont Holly. Does anyone else want to come? Yeah. Sounds like fun. Great. How about you, Claire? Uh, no thanks, Barb. I've made some other plans. We're just having a little party. Hey, quiet! It's him again! Listen, you pervert, why don't you go over to Lamb Kai? They could use a little of this. I was supposed to meet my daughter here. Her name's Claire Harrison. Do you know her? I'm sure you'll find her at the fraternity house. Have you seen Claire today? No one knows where she is. No, not since last night. Hello? 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 
Some of the girls are over here today, but I haven't seen Claire. Well, what the hell are you planning to do about it? 90% of the time, girls are reported missing from the college. They're at a cabin somewhere with a boyfriend. A high school girl's been murdered. Claude? Claude? He's obviously upset about something. I'd like to talk to him. Can you tell me where I might reach him? The caller is in the house. Oh, come on, this is a sorority house, not a convent. Are you up there? Jess? You can't rape a townie. All right, Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dula, Margot Kidder, Andrea Martin, with Marianne Will, well, uh, Marianne Wallman, and John Saxon, directed by Bob Clark. So, Sammy, why did you pick this movie? Oh, he's got jokes right off the bat. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you know. I, okay, so first of all, I guess this technically does qualify as a chick flick. Um, for those of you that this is your first episode, first of all, go back and listen to the first episode. Uh, but a chick flick is any film that is written or directed by a woman, any film that panders to women, or any film with a strong female lead, which I think this one really qualifies under the strong female lead category. That being said, this, this film is in my month under duress. And <laughs> okay, that makes more sense to well, me, actually. <laughs> yes. Well, the original plan was, uh, in addition to Roxy being on the show, uh, we were going to reunite one more time for this dumpster fire of a year with uh, our friends Mark, Mindy, and Karen, uh, who were on the Scream episodes and uh, Sammy's favorite sleepaway camp. Take a drink. <laughs> And unfortunately, uh, combination of work and not feeling well took most of my defenders away. I'm hoping Roxy's in my corner this week. We will see. Yeah. So Spoiler alert from the movie. So I'm used to, with, with Sammy and Christmas movies, it being like the super cheesy like Hallmark movies is the one I'm used to her suggesting and recommending. So yeah. when she first messaged me about this, I was like, okay, that's what we're watching. And then I looked it up and went, oh, oh no, this is not her kind of movie. So this nope. being underdressed makes far more sense now. You know what? You know what's a great thing about that, though, is I'm, just a, I'm, I'm a wonderful contradiction as a human being because... Our whole episode on Jackie Brown was just me gushing about my love for Quentin Tarantino and everything that he does, which is completely the antithesis to the other side of my personality, which is very much the Hallmark Lifetime side. Yep. And we did watch a Lifetime movie last week, which John survived. I did. <laughs> oh, no, she infected you. She infected you with the Hallmark <laughs> Lifetime channel cheesiness. <laughs> Well, to be fair a little, and second, 
if you can halfway hold my attention for 90 minutes, you're probably going to get a bear recommendation. So, <laughs> not necessarily so is, it was a... That's the standard? That's the bar right there? Yeah. Cool. If you don't want to, if you don't make me throw things, then you're, you're probably fine. See, safe haven. Oh. The angriest I think John has ever been at the, the twist ending to a movie. Also, the fastest I've ever turned on a movie. <laughs> and um, it almost made it. Yeah, honestly, all this makes me want to say, and this may shock people, is move over sleepaway camp. Um, <laughs> I think I found a contender for the worst movie of 2020. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you know, I mean, I get it. We say horror is not really my genre, but... I survived three out of the four movies for October. Like I like I like horror movies if they're good. Yeah. Well, and as we'll get and... into, I loved the remake of Black Christmas, the 2019 version. I thought was actually it held my attention. I thought it was a good movie. A lot of I think the appeal for this film is not necessarily before this. This really kind of revolutionized the slasher film. I mean, some argue it's this is the first slasher film and. Some argue it's tied with Texas Chainsaw Massacre for first slasher film. And then uh, pretentious nerds like me <laughs> will be like, we'll have a list of like seven obscure Italian horror films that came a decade earlier. So, I mean, but this, without this movie, we wouldn't have stuff like Halloween or at least that's the argument to be made. So I was going to say, like, one of the notes. So as we talked about before we started this, um, to everyone listening, I was yes. definitely got drunk while I was watching this movie, heads up. So, and I have notes. And there's a beautiful progression of my notes of me being sober to me no longer knowing what's going on. And so at the beginning of my notes, I am very thoughtful and like I wrote this whole thing about how the 70s you have the birth of the blockbuster because you don't have the production code anymore and then you mm -hmm. get rid of the production code and they go ape shit for slasher films and things like that yep and so I thought, and then the NCAA came along and ruined it <laughs> you know honestly I don't know if it was your level of sobriety that led to not knowing what was going on because <laughs> For those of you listening, I definitely did not watch this under the influence of NyQuil and did not fall asleep <laughs> of course before not. the end of the never. movie. So on my rewatch that never happened, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to give the movie the benefit of the doubt. I, you know, I was like, well, maybe I was just tired. Oh, no. My biggest issue with this movie is I don't know what happened. Like, at well, the, I, I missed something. I don't know who the killer is. Well, that's like, I don't think you did miss anything. I think that's just this movie. Like, I don't... It... There's no story <laughs> here. Okay, well, we'll get into all this, and also there is an explanation, kind of. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I want to start with the boring history lesson and focus on the director. Bob Clark, does that name mean anything to either of you? No. My film right. teachers are probably going to be so mad at me. No. That's fine. 
this is my favorite Bob Clark Christmas movie. Where the Bob and possibly my favorite Bob Clark movie to date, you know, uh, of all time. Well, I can't say to date because Bob Clark unfortunately is no longer with us. But where where the bar is set is yet to be determined. So, but Bob Clark uh, is the man responsible for that movie that takes that takes up TBS for twenty four hours once a year. A Christmas Story. You like this movie better than A Christmas Story? I don't like A Christmas Story. Wait, wait. It's the same director? <clears throat> yes. The same director. This oh, man has <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, he has one of the most insane filmographies. His first film was a thriller called She-Man. A 1967 comedy about a soldier forced to take estrogen and wear lingerie. Oh, that and one I'm probably sure stood the test of time really well. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it's super yeah. woke and progressive. Yep. Um, but he really kind of hit. I don't. I don't want to say his stride, but really, uh, the first thing that got him noticed was he did a film called Death Dream or Dead of Night, and he also did a uh, horror film called. Children shouldn't play with dead things. So he started out kind of in horror, and then this was, I guess, maybe his biggest hit. But he went on to do not just a Christmas story. He went on to do Porky's, which of the 80s, late 70s, 80s era TNA comedies, I don't like. He did the Dolly Parton, Sylvester Stallone film Rhinestone, where... Rocky and Rambo sang Christmas, I mean, sang country music. He made baby geniuses. Um, it sounds to me like this guy has no idea who he is as a director, which now no. seeing his filmography explains so much more about this movie. Yes. Because this he movie even, doesn't know what it is. I'll, he was I'll so old. He made a sequel to. A Christmas story that nobody knows about. <laughs> There's a sequel? There's a sequel. There is not. Well, and it's not a Christmas... Well, there is a Christmas story, too, but he didn't make that. Uh, it was a 1994 film called It Runs in the Family. And it's about Ralphie and his parents, and it stars Charles Grodin, Mary Steenburgen, and... Kieran Culkin in the Ralphie role. Really? Yeah, it's not Did a Christmas movie. Did ever see The Life of Day? Yeah, it got released. Oh, but wow. it's just... And, and it's a sequel in as much that it's just another story about that family based on another novel by Gene Shepard, who wrote Christmas Story. Just looking through his... The list of what he did, I, I, I think this is the only thing on his list that I even remotely like or would ever watch without a gun to my head. Yeah, it, it definitely explains a lot more about this movie and the the structure and format of this movie. Yeah. But, I mean, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that um, he was at least trying, you know, different things. He wasn't just doing the same thing over and over again. And that's the best compliment I can give him. His last film was called The Karate Dog with Pat Morita and John Boyd. Oh, The Karate Dog. Yes. 
It's like, a real movie. Like, is that an Airbud movie? Because that sounds like it should be an Airbud movie. <laughs> no. Our, Air Bud had Disney money. This had whoever, whatever shady backdoor Canadian pr- film producer would let him make this. Uh, um, you know, it's kind of funny, though, because despite his very awkward filmography, this movie in particular, it had some people that have been in other stuff. Like, it, the cast itself isn't bad. Yeah, I mean, we got Lois Lane bef- before she was Lois Lane. Um, John Saxon was in just a crap load of like horror films. He was in Nightmare on Elm Street. He was in a, some of the Dario Argento films. So, I mean, he was known. Um, P- uh, Kier Dula, who played uh, Peter, he was uh, Dave in 2001, A Space Odyssey. And, you know, Jess, our lead, depending on when you went to high school, you had a 50 50 uh, shot of seeing her naked in your English class. Because that's exactly how a video is like, oh, it's Juliet whose boobs we all saw. <laughs> Unfortunately, my, I did not see her boobs because my English teacher has seen that film a couple of times. But yeah, she was in the 1968 Romeo and Juliet um, from. His last name is Zeffirelli. I can't remember his first name, but he was the Italian director who made um, Mel Gibson's Hamlet and also possibly uh, sexually uh, assaulted Bruce Robinson, and who would later parody him in With Nail and I, which is great early 80s British comedy if you've never seen it. I think when I went to high school, we were probably watching the Leonardo, Di- Leonardo DiCaprio version. <laughs> we-, <laughs> we watched both. I we watched the Zeffirelli version because um, that the DiCaprio version was still in theaters whenever I was in high school. So, oh, we just made you feel old, didn't we? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> All right. So, why don't we get into this, and maybe I can bring some clarity to what the fuck we watched. The film mostly takes place uh, in a sorority house and the, you know, in some areas surrounding it, like a park. And but it's mostly in the sorority house where uh, the sisters of Pi Kappa Sigma are having their Christmas party, uh, and at the same time they are being plagued by uh, crank phone calls, uh, which they they never really give him an official name. Some people call him the Moaner, but. Uh, he's technically credited as Billy. Where did they get the name Billy? Okay, in you, I had because I'm kind of half deaf. You, I turned on the uh, closed captions and subtitles to, when I watched this film, and in the voices that the one, and it's just one person doing the voices. Um, there's a character named Billy, and there's a character named Agnes. Billy keeps asking Agnes what she did with the baby. I totally miss that. Yeah. Well, it's also very hard to understand, too. So a couple times I heard the name Agnes, and then I kept trying to figure out what character I was forgetting that was named Agnes. So the whole time, that was a big confusion. I was like, who the hell is this Agnes? Was she that girl that died, or was she this person that died, or was she with that creepy dude? I got real confused about who the hell Agnes was. 
Well, and the movie never explains who Agnes is. No, and I barely understood this as a sorority because maybe this is just me like grappling with my own age. But in my notes, I actually have they all look too old to be in a sorority. (laughs) No, that was just like old movie casting. They just always never had people the right age playing roles. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Because they just it didn't it didn't look it didn't feel like a sorority. Nothing about it. I, well, I, I originally I remember. thought they were at a house party. Yeah, well, I mean it is, but it's a sorority house, and you also have to remember when you turn about thirty five, you can finally play a, a senior in high school in a horror movie. So that's fair. Yeah. Also, uh, he's not credited on the movie, but uh, Nick Mancuso plays the character of Billy and Agnes. And if you get the Scream Factory Blu-ray that I'm holding in my hand (laughs) that I bought for this damn show, (laughs) he actually does an audio commentary as Billy. And I lasted about mm, 10 minutes. (laughs) Was it him talking in that voice? Yeah. Oh, God, why? No, no one wanted that. No one asked for that. Well, I mean, it, it's the novelty. It's kind of like um, if you get the Criterion edition of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, someone thought it would be a good idea to let Hunter S. Thompson do uh, a commentary. And, he, you know, it's very much Hunter S. Thompson. All I keep thinking is for no reason. if you're the uh, type of person, <clears throat> John that would mm-hmm. buy the DVD of Sleepaway Camp with special features, you get the wonderful music video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that no one asked for and no one ever needed. Uh, Roxy, if you've never seen Sleepaway Camp, I, I highly recommend... I don't know. <laughs> you, should, you should watch it. Hey, we got a shout-out, technically, from uh, Felissa Rose. So That is true. <laughs> She That's knows okay. our podcast. She was made aware of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Steven. Yes. I'm, I'm waiting for the cease and desist letter. <laughs> Surely coming at any moment. Just get that frame and put it on your wall. It's a badge of honor. Yeah. All right. So I know we normally go through the plot beat by beat, but... There's really not much of a plot to this movie. I'm going to go ahead and admit that. So, basically, what we get in this movie is there's a crank phone caller, you know, that's disrupting the um, sorority and saying things to them. And I'm, this is what the subtitle said, that he wanted to lick their pretty, uh, pretty piggy cunts. Yeah, and then, that was a fun line. Yep. <laughs> and then um, whenever Barb played by... Like, what's the little all, girl killed by the same person? I don't think... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> possibly, possibly not. Um, and also, the main plot of this movie is the sorority girls are trying to find Claire... And they never do. <laughs> and and the final... point, I, just... <laughs> I feel like the they final... just forgot about her. <laughs> I think so, the, too. I mean, the final shot is Claire's dead body staring out the window before credits roll. 
Okay, Everyone? I have a question. Okay. It's Claire's dad that shows up, right? Looking for her? Yes. Yes. What at the end of the movie, like jumping ahead here, spoilers, when mm -hmm. the main girl is in her room asleep or like yes. unconscious. And there's is that not Claire's dad in the room that passes out? Yes, he goes into shock. Why and is that because of that. <laughs> and they carry him away. <laughs> but I I am so confused because at this point they he doesn't still does not know where his daughter is because they did not no. search the house. Nope. What the fuck? Especially the fact they did not even search the house when they determined that the killer was coming from inside the house. And there's no. what they find well, three bodies, they know two people are missing, and they don't continue to search in the house for them. Nah, who needs it? No. What? Well, it's, it was a clear open shut case uh, that Claire, uh, that Jess killed the killer, you know, with her bare hands. And did not have any blood on her. She had a little. She had a little, I think. She had a piece of blood on her mouth. Her hands had no blood on them. As she's sitting there yeah. holding his bloody body. <laughs> but she killed him. That is some lazy storytelling and blood work right there. I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah. And no, and it's I will say, okay, I, I'm gonna give the movie a little bit of credit. It did have one redeeming well, really two, but one major redeeming quality for me, and that was the house mom, um, Miss uh, Mac. As as much of a cliche as she was, she was wonderful. I love her. Am, am I the only one? And feel free to tell me I am. That every time they said uh, Mrs. Mac in my head, I was doing the sing song Miss Mary Mac. Oh damn! I I wish I had done that because that would be so much better. <laughs> Yes. No, no, but no. In my note, I did put. You know, you're a super alcoholic when you hide your alcohol bottle in the toilet. Yes. Um, yeah. I wrote down. Well, where do you keep your alcohol? I, look, there's the B for booze book. Then you've got the toilet. Yes. Like she had multiple she, hiding spots. Yeah, because at one point she's digging in a closet looking for a bottle, and I think she finds an an empty one. Which I don't know why she's hiding all this booze when she lives in a sorority house and they're all actively drinking. <laughs> like a preacher hiding in the fridge. Probably just to keep it away from Barbara. Yeah, because Barbara will drink it all. But I did write. So at first, my first thought about her was why is she hiding her booze? Followed by bitch blend your eyeshadow. Because she did not blend her eyeshadow. It was her eyeshadow was very alarming. And then I wrote that I had so many questions about her. Correction, she's my favorite. <laughs> mm. But she she fights her favorite with me with uh with Sergeant Nash. Oh <laughs> yeah. Was that the we'll mean cop? That, yes, he was that the was dumb the idiot cop. cop. Okay. Yeah. No, my other favorite was was it Barb? Was she the one that had like all the amazing one-off one-liners? Yes. Yes, Margot Kidder. Yes. I just <laughs> want to point out one line that I feel like just set everything with her character. And that's when she's on the phone with her mother. And she tells her, You're a real gold-plated whore. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, and she's taking a dig at her mom because her mom is basically saying you can't come home for Christmas because I'm going off with some guy. Also, if it's like two days before Christmas, why are they still in the sorority house? I, I don't know. And why are none of them like, none of them seem to be going anywhere. But I, I guess that's just kind of they're well, girls with no family or nowhere to go. Yeah. Well, and also, um, whenever Barb's mom kind of tells her she's not going to be home, so there's no point in coming home, Barb kind of schemes up a ski trip because uh, it that that ski trip ruins Fat Santa's uh, excitement of being alone with Phil, played by Andrea Martin. Fat Santa, who's like cursing in front of small children as they're sitting on his yes. lap. Yes, mm-hmm. I made it that note. Like it was the most ridiculous thing. Him and Barbara were talking. Like there were not small children right there. Barb got one of the children drunk <laughs> in front of Mister Harrison. The amount of stuff in this movie that's just glossed over. Really, the most aggravating thing to me was this movie decided to take a serious topic like abortion and just throw it in there as like a side note <laughs> to have an argument well, with her boyfriend over. And this is not well, no, a serious it's not... movie. And it tried to talk about a serious subject. Well, for one thing, it's post-Roe v. Wade. I mean, like, freshly post-Roe v. Wade. So bringing that up is going to get some controversy, but also... Everything about uh, that conversation uh, with Peter is to set him up for being the worst red herring ever. (laughs) So it's like, here's what I will say about him being the red herring. Mm -hmm. If you are inebriated, oh, it's absolutely him. He's the killer. Yeah. When you're not inebriated, it's really clear. They're trying to set it up for him to be the killer, but he's not. Yeah, it's um, kind of that. I don't, not necessarily Scooby Doo logic, but it's just like they're. Um, has anyone seen the movie Zodiac? Yes. Okay. Uh, there's a scene in Zodiac whenever uh, two uh, detectives are interviewing um, John Carroll Lynch, who plays. Uh, Arthur Lee Allen, who may or may not have been the actual Zodiac, we'll never know, but in in that particular scene, uh, Arthur Lee Allen does everything he possibly can to make himself, to out himself as a guilty party. (laughs) Because he's mentioning there, you know, there was a bloody knife in my car, but that was because I killed a chicken uh, for dinner, and other slightly helpful things and i i think he's the only person who was looking more guilt they tried to make look more guilty was peter in this movie so much so there's no way he's the killer well yeah and oh go ahead i was just gonna say why is she dating peter because he's just creepy as a human being Right? Yeah. There's there's no redeeming quality about him. Like, when he... And, and that's something I that really bugged me about this movie was a big thing about how it was filmed is it had... The movie had no flow. 
it, I mean, it just like, it cut from scene to scene that had no, no continuity from one scene to the next. And so the only hint I had that he was crazy apart from his conversations with her was when he had clearly destroyed the piano. Yeah. Which is your only indication that the recital did not go as planned. But I don't know. Was the intention of the movie to actually get the audience to believe he's the killer? Because if it is, that makes this movie extra bad. Because it's obvious the killer is living in the attic and is... It's not... The killer is not the same type of crazy as Peter is. Yeah. Well, they are They are trying to throw you off. That Now, in 1974, that was probably incredibly successful. But, you know, we're, you're watching this in 2020. And, you know, I watched it for the first time probably... 10 years ago, which, you know, you know, even then, you know, I don't remember how well I was thrown off or not because uh, that was prior to, you know, three days ago. So visions, <laughs> memory's blurry. <laughs> I get, I don't know. It's just, I guess it bugs me because having seen this, I guess having seen it when I saw it, uh, having seen Scream first I guess that's that's what I compare it to, which really bugs me because Scream did a brilliant job because they convinced, or at least me, they convinced me that Billy couldn't possibly have been the killer because he was the obvious choice and they did such a good job of making it seem like he was the obvious choice. He could not have possibly been the killer. And then he turns out to be the killer. This movie does the opposite. Mm-hmm. No, I agree yeah. with that. Well, and you gotta remember this. This is a low-budget movie. It was made in Canada. That you know, they didn't know it was, if it was going to have, you know, what level of success it was going to have. So, but you know, it was kind of a game changer for the genre. And so, just and just because you did it best, I mean, did it first doesn't mean you did it best. But I mean, it set things up so that way. It's like, okay, we can do this, and now we're going to improve upon this down the line. That's fair. It's fair, but also, it still does not mean it did a good job, and that this is enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. And and also, I saw this very shortly after having seen the 2019 remake, and I don't know how close to the 2006 remake was, but the 2019 remake, I wouldn't even call the same movie more inspired the, by the general concept okay so the 2019 black christmas which i have not seen but everything i've read and been told has led me to believe it is a remake in name only 2006 um the screenwriter for this film is credited as a writer on that film because they took a lot of that concept and did expand upon it and you got to meet Billy and Agnes for better or worse. Now I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I know what happens. And you know, it's worse, isn't it? It's a toss-up <laughs> because, but I mean, it it was kind of one of the post-scream. We're trying to be clever. Um, slasher films and it was done by one of the directors for one of the and the writer for final destination oh that's so, everything you need to know right there 
Yeah. Hey, so I like there the th- Final Destination movies. Oh. I own them all. Oh, oh, you too. Oh. Now, I'm not saying they're good movies, but they are entertaining. But you have financially supported the continuation of that franchise. I, I if I if there was a sixth one, I would be there opening night. <laughs> so there's one thing. Okay, I have a couple of questions, real quick. Okay. Was this where the they're calling from the house thing originated? Was this movie the first one to do that? Yes. Okay, I will give them credit because, for that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this did come before when a stranger calls and. Um, I believe there was a film called Are You Alone in the House? But I believe this is where that, I mean, outside of like an urban legend, this is where that trope came from. Okay. Because that's like, I remember growing up and like hearing like 10 different variations of that urban legend of the colors of the house. So like when they actually like had that moment in the film, I will say it did make me happy. It's like, oh, here's that moment. Here's that iconic moment that's always like, kind of parodied, parodied and stuff in all those films. So I give them credit for that. The other thing while watching this, that at a certain point I had a realization of, bad 70s horror films, because yes, I'm going to go ahead and say that, this is a bad 70s horror film, are modern day Lifetime Channel thriller movies. Well, oh. I mean, Joe Bob Briggs did say that Lifetime Television is the last place of true exploitation cinema. So it absolutely is because there were multiple moments like, and I have worked on several bad Lifetime Channel thriller movies. Okay, (laughs) we work on them knowing what we are making, and there's definitely moments in this. I was like, oh, I filmed a scene almost identical to that. Oh, we had that moment set up in this film. Yeah, no, it was almost exactly that same sort of tone. And guess what? It also wasn't the killer. Yeah. So if you think about a movie, I never thought of that. It's the same thing, Mm -hmm. just with better filming and prettier people. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I'll agree with you. I, I think this movie is due credit for what it started you know for being the kind of for being what it was and for all the all the films that came after this I think it's due credit for that and my first experience with that caller from inside the house is when a stranger calls which I still credit as being to me the most personally terrifying movie I've ever seen because it could actually happen yeah, and well, and that's what so many people say about this movie that for the most part, this could happen. Yeah, for the most part, just search the house, people. Anytime something's going on and the cops show up, insist they search every damn room of your house. Yeah, they had an attic with obviously this killer was living in that attic for some time period. I mean, I, I feel like that's what the movie's trying to imply. And nobody knew. Okay, multiple times. Least... Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, or at least it was oh he was living there from the beginning of this film forward. Yeah. Like multiple times. 
Were there not shots where they saw the attic and the attic door was open? Yep. As someone walks by it. If you have an attic that has one of those like obvious like, oh, here's the panel. Would you not notice if it was randomly open? Yeah. Probably. Like, I know these are supposed to be, like, multiple times they kind of lean to the, they're sorority girls. They're not going to be the brightest people. However, you would still notice something like that unless you were completely yeah. wasted. Like, I will give the dead mother a pass on that because she was clearly drunk most of the movie. The but rest the of them mother, were so But you got to remember, the dead mother is the only one that went up into the attic. <laughs> I mean, she was looking for the cat, but that's how she met her demise. I feel like that, they spent more time looking for the cat than they did for the other girl. Yeah. Uh, and were as equally successful. Yeah, they never... Oh, well, the cat was in the attic, but... Yeah. Yes, and, and that little girl thing bothered me because it was completely pointless and totally unrelated to the story. Well, yeah. it, it was good. Well... But you got to remember, that helps set up some things later, like, you know, the uh, Neighborhood Watch coming by and scaring the crap out of Jess and Phil. <laughs> I mean, Phil and Barb are at least worried about finding uh, Claire. Not enough to search the attic, but, I mean, Phil at least is... You know, Barb and Phil are at least going to the police, trying to get them to do something. Of course, Barb keeps drinking, so she's not really of use, but... Phil keeps looking. Jess has her own problems because you got to remember she's pregnant, her and she's trying to tell her boyfriend, you know, she wants the abortion, and then you know he's like, you know, you're keeping that baby, you know, the general, the cliche argument. Yeah, I think so, this movie is just trying to accomplish too many things, but. I want to make sure you're referring to the neighborhood watch that you need a neighborhood watch to protect you from, right? Yeah. Okay, just clarifying. <laughs> without the a neighborhood doubt, the watch. Na- <laughs> the one that they go, oh, I'd rather face the killer than them. Yep. Yes. It's the creepiest alert, neighborhood watch do. in history. Yep. Also, I would like to point out that one of them has like a rifle or something, and he definitely like is semi pointing it at their faces at one point. Yep. <laughs> like that man should not be trusted with a weapon. Well, they're also Canadian, so they probably have never handled a shotgun that way. <laughs> okay, and and one more thing too, are we also to believe? And I understand it was done for comedic effect, and don't get me wrong, it was funny. That a grown man, probably in his mid-30s, doesn't know what the word fellatio means. (laughs) I did write down that it's something dirty, ain't it? (laughs) Oh, honey. Oh, honey, yes. You know, I I could buy someone not knowing that particular word. They are grown up. They would know that word. I guess not if they've never experienced it. <laughs> Most of us knew that word in high school, okay? If you were college age and above, <laughs> you know that word. Unless you've been living under a rock. Let's be real. This is the 70s. Everybody knew that word. <laughs> but if, but we're also talking about detective about Sergeant Nash. Who is the dumbest person in this movie? 
it set him up to be dumb because as we find out at the end of the movie, he can't follow simple instructions. <laughs> Wait, what was the instruction that he didn't follow? All right. Um, Lieutenant Fuller told him to, at the end of the movie, told him to call the sorority house, tell them to set the phone down and walk out and not tell them anything. Oh, and that's he, right. And he tells her to hang the phone up, walk outside, and don't ask any questions, which naturally you're going to ask questions. <laughs> and he spills the beans that the calls were coming from inside the house. So he he's getting a stern talking to uh, from Fuller at the in, in the sequel that we never saw. <laughs> well, I mean, it's obviously she's not going to leave her friends that she doesn't know are dead yet upstairs Mm -hmm. in the house by themselves. Obviously, because I I beg to differ. You tell me the killer's in the house. My first reaction is, I'm booking it. Bye. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm sorry, y'all. If you're in a horror film with me, um, I will prioritize my own life over you. Well, and also, you know that guys with guns are coming. Yeah. As long as you get out of there calmly, odds are they're going to be okay. You know, I want to pay this movie another compliment, uh, thinking about Jess. So I should I keep tally in... of all of these compliments that you're giving. <laughs> um, when, when you get to five, I get a month off from Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> so for all the... Uh-huh. You owe me for this movie. I don't know when... I don't know how you're going to pay up, but you will pay up. I have a I have an ABC Family Christmas musical in my back pocket. Entitled oh. Mistletones. Oh, John, I'm so sorry for you in advance. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm going to argue that I've probably seen worse. Because so. first of all, no, I'm pretty sure no one in Mistletones was dead the entire time. And an allusion to my worst film of all time, I'm pretty sure a sad man's not going to drive through the, through the desert for 45 minutes to get a terrible blowjob cry and then drive back. Oh, dear. Yeah. All right, you might win that. Do I'm I? just kidding. I would I would not do that to you, but I still definitely feel like you owe me a movie. That being said, <laughs> I'm going to pay the movie a compliment. For all the things, this movie was kind of a... I'm searching for the way um, the way for the whole final girl thing. Now, I know that it came... The final girl came into being before Scream, but Scream being the, like, meta awesomeness that it was explained what a final girl is jess shouldn't be a final girl but it's pretty clear that she is because she's not a virgin clearly and i I don't she doesn't really fit the criteria for being a final girl so i do think that was something interesting that this movie did well well and the whole final girl theory uh really does stems from there's a there's a um book on film studies and feminism called Men, Women, and Chainsaws written by Carol Clover. That's really where the 
term final girl came from. And that came from an examination of all these movies where there is usually, not always, but usually a final girl standing, or in this case of this movie, sleeping her ass off. (laughs) Well, and isn't it awesome? Okay. So at one point, Barb makes a comment, and I thought it was towards Jess, about her being able to tell a virgin, a walking virgin, or a lifetime virgin. No, that was Claire, right? And so you know, she said it to she said it about Claire, but maybe to Jess. Oh, okay. Never mind then. My whole thing. No, nope, never mind. I got nothing. That was when and the alcohol she was she was the first one who died. So that kind of like turns yeah. the whole theory on its head. Yeah. Well, and also you know theories like that are are meant to be subverted. I did write down because I know one of the things is always like the first one to show their boobs dies or no if you show your boob wait if you show your boobs in a horror film you die right that's typically one of like those cliches so I wrote down because she showed her boobs in a different movie but not this one she got to live (laughs) yep here and she died in that movie (laughs) she did therefore don't show your boobs if you want and to live was, in a horror film. That was the whole thing with Jamie Lee Curtis, too, wasn't it? Like, it was way after she did Halloween before she was ever in a movie. I'm going to have to quote Scream again, aren't I? Yeah, you are. <laughs> Trading three, 80 places. She didn't show her tits till she went legit. Oh, there yeah, you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which, weird side note about Trading Places. R-rated Eddie Murphy movie that I was allowed to see as a child, but meanwhile, The Golden Child, a PG-13 Eddie Murphy movie, I was not allowed to rent. What? Yeah. That makes no sense. You think? I have many questions. (laughs) I, I was able to rent Hellraiser 2 as a child because it was the unrated cut. And therefore, it wasn't rated R, so I got away with that. Poltergeist, <laughs> P- Poltergeist, PG uh, Spielberg produced movie, wasn't allowed to rent. Oh, uh, you're you're starting to make a lot more sense to me. Yeah, I it was randomness uh, in my household. Like my dad would let me rent the Elm Street movies. Um, my dad would let me rent Alien and. My parents were okay with me watching Die Hard uh, and Lethal Weapon 2, but my mom didn't want me to watch Lethal Weapon 1. What? I don't, I don't know. Mine was just whatever my mom told me I couldn't watch, my dad let me watch when my mom wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, and then I, I I turned eighteen, was able to rent whatever I wanted, and I just kind of left them out of it. <laughs> See, we had like all the movie channels when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and my parents did not pay enough attention. So yeah, I watched a ton of movies. I probably should not have watched at the age I watched them. <laughs> okay, add to this nineteen ninety seven. The Howard Stern Private Parts movie came out. Did did my parents take me to see that movie? 
It's a yes, yes or no question. Yes, yeah. they did. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. so um, I remember this didn't happen to me, but my, my aunt, when she was 12, uh, A Clockwork Orange came out in the theater, and her mother oh, took no. her and her best friend to see it. And oh, no. her oh, no. mother didn't know. Oh, no. Oh, and that's a very disturbing movie. That's yeah, the only I, movie that my brother ever watched where my I ever saw my dad go, mm, and he was 17, and my dad go, ah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure I want him seeing that. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't see that film until college. Uh, a guy in my um, one creative writing class, it was uh, theater appreciation class, let me was talking to me and I, I hadn't seen it. So he let me borrow it. And I at least had the good sense to uh, not watch that with my parents in the house <laughs> on the off chance that they would come in at a horrible moment, which is a lot of that, a lot of the first half hour of that film. Yeah. <laughs> I actually well, remember seeing bits and pieces of it when I was like really, really, really young because my parents would sometimes watch movies and mm-hmm. kind of forget what the movies were. And then they just suddenly be like, um, here, go play in your room for the next 10 minutes. Okay, you can come back and watch this part. All right, now go yeah. play again. <laughs> I, I, I remember like watching JFK with my dad. This is just turning into a therapy session. <laughs> so like, Tell us about the movies remember, that traumatized you all. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember uh, seeing uh, JFK uh, with my dad and being horrified at the language in it. <laughs> Me, horrified by the language. I can't um, even imagine. Because it's like, how many times are they going to say fuck in one movie? <laughs> oh, I asked myself that the entire time we were watching Jackie Brown. <laughs> Same you answer. Know, a lot. <laughs> and Jackie Brown is not that bad. you got to remember, there are movies that have way more than that. That's true. Tarant- uh, I mean, <laughs> none of Tar- none of Tarantino's movies are on the list of most fucks per minute. That's a Wikipedia article that exists. I need to look this up because I'm so curious. <laughs> well, I will say to this day, my brother and I are still grounded for watching The Exorcist against my mother's wishes. Oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> You mean the movie that I sometimes uh, will turn on repeat and fall asleep to because it's basically white noise at this point? Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Oh, jeez. No, no, no. No, no that no, movie no. completely scarred me. Oh, that movie is still I on my list it... of I won't watch it. Yeah. I wish that movie had scarred me because I watched it for the first time in my best friend's house, at the, you know, my best friend at the time's house. In the middle of the afternoon, in a brightly lit room, with his cousin and his mom kept coming in and out. So I'm no no terror happened that day, but I still love the movie. I don't mess still... with. I don't do demon possessions. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah, no. that's like the line for me. I have worked on a demon possession movie, but I don't want to sit through them. <laughs> Well, as long as you're not directed by William Friedkin, you'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, There was times during this film, I wondered if that was not what was going on. Because that voice. Who was going to be possessed? The cat? (laughs) Well, the the 
clearly the psychopath living in the uh, attic. Yeah, but so yeah, yeah. So the backstory, uh, the sequel did at least a good, even though I haven't seen, it, did a good job of at least explaining that, and you know, and giving a story to and a character to the killer because you know, like we said, we never really know anything. We know as much about the killer at the end of the film as we pretty much did at the beginning of the film. But uh, would you like to know the story of Billy and Agnes? Please. As as per the 2006 film. And I'll let you judge which one is the worst one. This is going to make me angry, isn't it? Possibly. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Billy Lynn's who is not named in this film, but was given a name in the in the in the 2006 remake, was an abused and neglected child of an alcoholic. And when their father left, he created his he, his mom raped him and created Agnes, his sister child. Okay. Agnes, no. uh, leading Agnes to get all the attention, and Billy one to and. Billy continued to be ignored, so Billy did the rational thing and took out his sister's eye and ate it before killing his parents and turning them into cookies. What? Yes. And then this is two... Psycho meets Sleepaway Camp. Do not sully the two names of those films. <laughs> that was... He made them into cookies? Yes. By the way, that's the opening of the movie. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah. Roxy, he ruined cookies. Well, I'm just—I'm trying to think here. How you make people into cookies? Like, do you well, make here, them into like a pate and then you cook that, or is it like you use he, them as sprinkles and cookie dough? He removed—he removed their skin and cut the skin into cookies and baked. We them. have an answer to that question. So it's really okay. Calling them cookies. <laughs> yes. That just that would not be cookies. That would be more like a potato lackey or some potato chips. Those would not be cookies. <laughs> Those would be like well, pork well, he did it on the holidays, so you know, Christmas cookies. Just it would be go like with it. Pork rinds. Yeah. And then oh my God. The, it would. Yeah. And then the main plot of the of the film is someone's living in the house. Turns out it's Agnes, played by a guy from the electrical department wearing a dress. I'm not joking. What? <laughs> it is sleepaway yes. camp. <laughs> and Billy escaped from the mental institution. She just somehow knew that. So she starts picking off the people in the um, sorority house, which Andrea Martin from this film returns to play the house mother in that film. So okay, there is some, yes, and wait, did so there, she die? And so it's yes, but she's not playing Phil; she's playing basically Mrs. Mac. Oh my god! Uh, I, yeah. You know, I take back everything I said. Sleepaway mm -hmm. Camp's ending is more well thought out, concise, and well executed than whatever this explanation is. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> yeah. So the end of the which the end of the 2006 version was supposed to be 
ambiguous like this one, but uh, luckily, thankfully, we got some uh, interference from the two most helpful individuals in all of uh, Hollywood, Harvey and Bob Weinstein, oh. who <laughs> set up a finale for this film in which Agnes is killed by um, our final girl in that film, warming up the um, defibrillator paddles for a, uh, in a hospital and melting her. <laughs> and then finally kicking Billy off of, which, by the way, Billy in this film is yellow because he has jaundice. <laughs> and, okay. And Billy's demise is being kicked off a roof and impaled by a Christmas tree. <laughs> okay, see, those are fun deaths. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a little, it's seasonal. It's in yeah. the spirit. Yes. If you're going to give me campy bad horror film with like really a lot of like just what the fuck issues, give me ridiculous deaths. That's all I ask. Yeah, I, I will admit that the remake does sound slightly more fun than this film, but I'm going to argue, having not seen it, that this was that the Bob Clark one was probably the better made movie. One of the things that I don't like about like this era of filmmaking is you get a lot of people, because this is when you first start to get people that have been to film school, that have studied great films. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of people that want to be these artistic artors and stuff like that. But I'm sorry, they're not. And so their answer is, I'm going to make this very open-ended so it leaves you thinking. See and Tommy Wiseau. It like they just were like, meh. Exactly. Ta- the room had a conclusion. <laughs> All right. Sure, Fair. John. Sure. You know what? It did. It had more of a conclusion than this film. That's true. No. Okay. For those of you playing along at home with the, with the uh, drinking game, we're on number, I don't know what, mentions of sleepaway camp. So you should be sufficiently drunk by now. Um, <laughs> they might be dead. I don't know if I'd survive this past week. They're at, least, they're at least at the point where this podcast just got infinitely better. Um, <laughs> no. I agree. If you're going to give me a bad movie, there's levels. There's, there's good. Then mm. there's bad and so bad it's good and then there's just bad and this sleepaway camp got to so bad it's good because at least it's entertaining right like you watch it with your friends and it's a fun couple of hours this movie never hits that level where it's so bad it's good it just kind of exists it's weird that I'm the one defending this film and yet I sort of agree (laughs) Because here's the thing, I understand all the flaws in this film, especially when all right, none of us were alive in 1974. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, but <laughs> I, I think if you had seen this film in 1974 we, or even 1984 or possibly 1994, we might have a different take on this because all of us saw this in the film, this film in the 21st century for the first time unless you know roxy saw it some somehow before all that i used my time traveler skills to see it when it came out all right cool (laughs) but i i 
I, I think had we seen this film earlier, we might have a more of a more of an appreciation for it than we than we do now because we're so used because this film set so many cliches that are now cliches. So it was fresh then, so it, we might have a different outlook had we, you know, seen this much earlier than what we did. I, I can agree with that. I feel like it was kind of the way you guys talked about the craft, you know, when we did that episode. It had yeah. a, I feel like the craft had a special meaning to people that were, uh, that saw it when it first came out and it set the tone for a specific right. genre of movie that they sort of fell in love with. So I can understand mm-hmm. how that and, might be and, the case. And, and in the case of stuff like The Craft or The Crow, which, weirdly enough, my parents took me to see The Crow in theaters. Uh, <laughs> mother was horrified. Uh, but um, It's kind of like the right film and the, you know, seeing the right a film at the right time lends you know much more of an allegiance to it like seeing the crow you know was a revelation to me because i had never seen seen a comic book movie that could be that edgy and edgy for that time you know but you know a slightly edgier film like fritz the cat which was based on adult own you know comic books made specifically for adults it was boring as shit so, and that came out, in the, and that and that also came out in the seventies. So, was even wait was Fritz the Cat like the Felix the Cat? Was it that sort of style? No, no, it was okay. basic, basically a cartoon cat, not inspired by Felix, but inspired by uh, loads of drugs. Um, that basically got high and had a lot of sex. I mean, it was. Kind of a satiric comic right. book, I, so never mind then. Yeah, that sort of the Robert Crumb era of comic books for the one comic book nerd listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've kind of unpacked everything, I think it's time Have to. We? Ask. <laughs> well, I, I think as much as we can. I feel like yeah. we've unpacked what what the uh, what the director gave us. You know, um, mm-hmm. I guess you just want to get this ro- over with, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious to find this out, actually. Um, I guess I'll start with Roxy. So what did you like about this film? I liked a lot of the lines because they are so ridiculous. And they some of the one-liners just had me laughing so hard. Like I said, that- the your gold-plated whore was amazing. Yeah. Um, that might have been the booze you weren't drinking. No, no, because when I started watching it again for a second time, I still laughed. Another line that I really loved, because at one point I just started writing down the lines that I liked. Um, and they I were all Barb, weren't they? <laughs> they actually, it was a mix of Barb and the um, Den Mother. Because okay. she also had some really great ones. Um, her wouldn't wear this to have my liver removed. <laughs> Yeah. So talking about the the um, house coat they gave her. I will also say, if you like 1970s style of like clothing and decor, you will be in for such a treat. 
Because, oh my God, it was so 70s, it hurt. There is orange carpeting. There are psychedelic curtains. It's kind of like watching a 70s period piece and you're just like, no, they didn't really dress this way back then. That's, you know, over the top as you go back and see this. And you're like, no, this is... This is That's real. Peter is definitely at one point wearing a coat that is 100% a woman's fur coat. Like just everything I was like, they definitely were just like, grab this coat. It's going to look cool and edgy. And it's like, yeah, he's rocking a woman's coat. Okay. All right. 70s. Or, I see. Why do I feel like Peter would just rock a woman's coat? Peter would. Peter also definitely I, needed a paper towel at points. He was a sweaty, sweaty boy. <laughs> I feel attacked all of a sudden. <laughs> I I feel like the costuming in this movie was Bob Clark calling the cast and going, "Hey, just bring some shit from your closet." Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah, hundred percent. Because guess what? They still do that now. Yep. Hey, if it works, it works, and it, exactly. I guess it, it tends to be a little bit more authentic tends to be a little bit more of the era because no one's thinking about how it's going to look in five years. Yeah. Well, they didn't think anyone would be watching this movie like 40 years later. That's fair. This movie also, I will say, it confirmed my life decision to not have joined a sorority. I think this is maybe the best depiction of a sorority because they weren't all mean, like the typical mean girl. I mean, you just had Barb drunk lashing out, but there was no hazing or you know real abuse. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a cliche no. illustration and, of a of a sorority house. Yeah, and it didn't go like the slumber party sorority. Uh, house massacre, uh, you know, parody route of, you know, pillow fights in 90s. No, they still all died, though. Yeah. The entire sorority house was essentially killed off. The dead mother was a raging alcoholic. And they were definitely, like, traumatizing small children at a community outreach. Yeah. Still that is true. I made the right decision of not being a sorority girl. <laughs> so, John, what did you like about this movie? Okay, so I do like a lot of the things in this movie. I like the way it's shot. I like the... Because I have an appreciation for older films and I, the ambig- ambiguity didn't really bother me, as much as probably you two, um, but I, I love I love some of the writing. I think, like like Roxy said, some of the lines in here are absolute gold. Anything with Mrs. Mac is freaking hilarious. Half of Barb's lines are hilarious, um, and you know John Saxon. You know, being a, a a horror fan, I'm gonna I I like seeing John Saxon in a lot of things. So. So that's really kind of my defense. That's all I got. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sammy. So. What thing? What thing did you like? Singular. (laughs) 
I don't have a lot. Um, I liked the humor. Really, Sergeant Nash and the house mom and her booze were the redeeming quality of this movie. Um, I liked how this movie paved the way for a lot of other horrors. So I do like what this movie ended up creating. I will give it. I will give it that credit. But that's that's pretty much all I can say. And I mean, I guess it was well acted at times. Yeah. I have a music analogy for this film. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine like it's 2004 and you're a teenager and you first discover Green Day, you know, around the time of American Idiot. So you're like, all right, I like punk rock. And then you immediately go back and listen to like some Black Flag 7 inch from 1978 that sounds like it was recorded in a basement because it fucking was. <laughs> That's this movie. <laughs> this is the Black Flag 7-inch recorded in the basement that paved the way for Green Day to do. Oh, that I analogy makes a lot of sense to me, and that kind of bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the mental gymnastics I had to do to come up with that. <laughs> oh, I do want to give them credit for one other thing, actually. Okay. And that was some of the editing on some of the kills. Yes. They actually, like, especially because going with that this was one of the earlier films, and this is low budget, I will give them credit for being very clever with their editing on conveying the kills without ever actually showing any practical deaths. Yeah. And, you know, this this movie kind of went the same route as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which everyone, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking it's an absolute gore fest, but... This that movie's only slightly bloodier than this film. Like Jaws is way more graphic than either mm-hmm. of these two those two films. Like one of the few things we looked up was uh, it was the director's choice to not show the deaths. Mm-hmm. And I will say, as someone that works in films, I will call him out that that was not a choice. That was a he saw the price tag and said, "Nope, yep. we're just going to shoot around it." I would agree. I think they did a good job with that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you guys a 45 second time limit. What did you What did you guys think sucked about this movie? <laughs> Roxy, you can go first. This was just boring. At the end of the day, that's really... Like, it had some fun moments. And that's where, like, I suggest if you watch this, do it as a drinking game because it'll help you get through some of the boring moments. Uh, the one drinking game rule I wrote down because yes, that is the point I got to was every time the dead mother drinks, you have to take a drink. And I feel like if you do that, you're going to enjoy this movie far more because when I tried to rewatch it again, it was just very, very dull. I like this idea. It yeah. makes it way more fun. I also feel like alcoholic with all this but it's fine yeah you know what next year for my birthday we're gonna we're going to instead of going out we're gonna watch this movie but still feed me the same amount of shots and see when this movie gets fun oh no no it is decided oh no All right, Sammy, what did you think sucked about this movie? So, literally in my notes next to dislikes, I have how much time do we have? 
Um, <laughs> 45 seconds, apparently. <laughs> this movie has zero flow. So it doesn't, I mean, the pacing is just terrible. The pacing is awful. Um, one of my big issues is I don't care about any of the characters. And I hate that in a movie. It's it's something I didn't like about, it's something I really didn't like about Sleepaway Camp and about other movies. If you cannot, in two hours, make me care that any of these people are dying, I don't know. I just see that as a problem. I didn't care about any of them. This movie was only 98 minutes, by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> and... I would say, you know, it tried to gloss over a serious topic like abortion in which in what was really like a kitschy slasher film. But I can kind of let that go by the fact that they probably just didn't have any other way to. It was what they thought at the time was a good idea of how to create a red herring. But honestly, the biggest crime this commits this this film commits is what Roxy said. It's boring. So is this where I have to reach and find what I didn't like? Yes. Okay. First of all, I hate all the music in this film with those slow, (laughs) dreary-ass choir Christmas carols. If if everyone gets is tired of this trend of them slowing down and remixing pop songs slower to make them, you know, for uh, horror movie trailers now. Oh, God. The rendition of Silent Night that opens this film (laughs) just drove me up the wall. And I I also don't really like that style of music. Uh, I like like goofy Christmas music, not dreary, sad, serious Christmas music. Um, As for the film, I agree. This film... is very dry. I will. I will say it's very, very dry. It it needed to balance out the kills a lot more because it's like you have the one at the beginning. You have like twenty minutes in, and then Mrs. Matt gets it, and then no one else dies, with the exception of the of the little girl who we never saw ever alive or dead. No one else dies until the end of this movie. And so you have this whole hour of of them trying to set up, uh, you know, a red herring. Everyone in this movie they try at one point to set up as a red herring, and it's just it's just so obvious that it's painful. And also, I don't. This may be controversial. I didn't really like Jess at all. Because it just felt to me her whole only point was to be angry and British. And that's Jess, about it. You learn nothing about Jess's character other than she's pregnant. You learn nothing about most of these people. It's like, all we know is bare, it's like surface level. Like, Jess is pregnant. Barb's an alcoholic. Mrs. Mack is an alcoholic. Phyllis is there. Uh, yeah. What do we and know that's... about Phil? <laughs> She that's worked why last you don't week. care. You don't care about any of them because you don't know anything about them. I, yeah. I, Scream did the same thing, right? So Scream had their initial kills, and then until the end of the movie, it's a it, there's a decent amount of time where nobody dies. The difference is Scream did it so much better. Yeah, well, and that's that was where the uh, butting in of Bob Weinstein was actually helpful because 
if it wasn't for Bob Weinstein saying you need a kill to break this up, P- Principal Hembry might have lived to the end of that movie. Huh. And we said we got th- we got that moment. I hate paying any of the Weinstein's compliments, but whenever yeah. they did something right, I have to do it. It's that crappy so- thing of what they did good, they did very well, but they were still yeah. horrible, horrible people. Yeah. So, Sammy, do you want to ask the question that we that the that there's no suspense to the answers? <laughs> okay. Well, there's a suspense to y'all's answer, maybe. So, okay. Roxy, um, did you survive this film? No. Like I, I literally had to go back and rewatch it because my notes were incoherent. And I thought that was because I had just reached that level of drinking and then going back and rewatching, it's like, no, no, that was just the movie that was enhanced by the drinking. <laughs> so what about you, John? Did you survive? Okay, I'm going to be the one alone in the rowboat. <laughs> I did survive this film, and I do like this film, but at the same time, I don't really watch this film a lot. <laughs> And it's going to be a long time before I do watch it again. So I, I wouldn't watch it on the regularity of a Scream or an Exorcist or Sleepaway Camp. This is like Sleepaway Camp 3. I'll watch it on the same amount, the same amount of times. Um, but, I mean, I, I like this film for more what it did for the genre than what it actually is. But, you know, and also I have seen so much worse. Like, if you gave me the option to watch this or Holmes and Watson with Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley, I will take Black Christmas a hundred times over that piece of shit. So, so yeah, I survived it, but with the quali- qualifier of I have an appreciation for 70s cinema, I have appreciation for horror movies, so that's where my love for this film actually begins and ends. It's not one of my favorites, but I like it for what it did. So, Sammy. (laughs) So, I'm going to preface this with, I actually really struggled with whether or not I survived. And and since you mentioned it, I forgot to say my dislikes. (laughs) Basically, what what this movie had going against it from the get-go is the 70s, because... Y'all can groan if you want, but I am not a fan of the decade of the 70s. I'm not a huge fan of the music. Well, I am a Matt. I really hate the fashion and everything about the decor. I'm a big fan of the 80s. Well, Roxy, this is, thank you for being on the last episode of Surviving Chick Flicks. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you for listening to everyone. Bye. <laughs> I think there are so many things that, that the 80s did that I appreciate more than the 70s. That being said, um, Although I will hand it, the 70s, there is a lot of great music. So I'm not knocking the whole decade And there is for that. a lot of great cinema. I, I just haven't really forced it upon you yet. I'm sure that's true. But the only thing I had to compare this movie to really was Sleepaway Camp, which I did not survive. This is a better made movie. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. This is a better made movie. It's better acted. It's better written. All of it is better. But I had more fun watching Sleepaway Camp. Right. It, so that was my dilemma. 
Well, it's kind of like uh, everyone in the world says Chariots of Fire is a great movie and it won Best Picture. And I think that movie is as entertaining as watching paint dry. Police Academy 5, however, is an absolute atrocity of a film, but I love it and have seen it at least 30 times in my life. So I get that. <laughs> so that being said, I think I landed on I barely didn't survive. Oh, based on the text message you sent me the night you were watching this, I assumed it was a much stronger. Didn't well, I think survive. what bothered me is I actually really liked the 2019 remake. And so I was expecting the same storyline because that storyline made sense from beginning to end. You understood who the characters were who the killers ended up being like the whole the whole thing made sense at the end of this movie i just went i i i i didn't understand the big the movie was a giant question mark yeah and you see it's moments like this that make me like i really really want you to see suspiria the 70s version and then now there's this part of my brain that's saying this may be a terrible idea because I love Suspiria but I couldn't explain the majority of that plot with a gun to my head and I've seen it multiple times oh, it's, God. Like, it's like there's something about, a, about a, a dance school and there's some witches but the colors are pretty and the murders are violent <laughs> yeah so. I, I don't know it's it's the same deal I, I felt the same way about Amityville Horror y'all made me watch the original Amityville Horror, which I think was also a 70s film. And it, is. it was just boring. That's all I had to say about saw, that movie. But you watched The Exorcist, and that's a 70s film. True, and that movie's just scarring. <laughs> I wish it was as scarring as everyone in the world makes it out to be. But thank God for the rest of the month, because next week... We we go back to we go back to my picks, and I'm actually looking forward to next week. I'm I, you know I don't want to show my hand too early, but I actually really really like next week's movie, <laughs> and I liked it before I ever knew you. <laughs> so uh, so next week we are going to be uh, talking about the holiday, the the Jack Black and Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet one, right and. I don't have yes. to go dig up some obscure Lifetime movie, right? <laughs> or, as I affectionately have entitled it, the movie that changed my mind about Jude Law. Really? Yes, I was I not a fan those... of Jude Law prior to this movie. There was just something about him I did not like, and this movie changed my opinion of him. You know, I don't think, I, and I'm sure we'll get into it next week, but I don't think I actually have an opinion on Jude Law. He's just kind of there. <laughs> Oh, Sam Lee did. Sam Lee definitely did. I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know why I did not like him, but I didn't until I saw this movie. So. And um, the 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 holiday is actually a movie that really confirmed my feelings on the director. So we'll we'll get into that more next week because that's probably a twenty minute diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to the one we had on Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yep. <laughs> and hey, we didn't have as many tangents this week. No, we did good. So, we did Roxy. Good. We, we uh, behaved. 
<laughs> do you have anything you would like to plug or talk about? Um, um, you could find me online, I guess. Is that what this is? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, like if you like if you have a, a show that you're doing or anything you want to promote or yeah website, anything you're working on you want to talk about so I do along with all my makeup stuff which you can find that on my Instagram which is at Roxanne underscore McDaniel I also have a secondary Instagram which is all vintage and retro stuff and on that account uh, speaking of me drinking profusely. I have a weekly cocktail show I do called Cocktails on the Rocks. And yeah, you can look that up. And every week I show you how to do different cocktails. It's and pretty we're awesome. Doing Christmas, or we're doing holiday themed ones. And that'll be for all of December. So what, what cocktail would you pair with Black Christmas? <sighs> you know. Something strong. Yes, something definitely strong. Probably, because um, sometimes I do classic cocktails. Sometimes I do ones that are original creations. I'd probably say doing the peppermint martini this week would be a good one, because it is just two different kinds of alcohol, and so it makes for a very strong drink. It's also one of the ones I did right before watching this movie, so that definitely played into the level of uh, inebriation I had to watch this. Perfect. Sammy, you got anything you want to promote or plug or talk about? No. Um, I think I think we're good. Um, I think we're close enough we can talk about it. Um, and if not, John, you can cut this out. Okay. Um, so we will be starting an additional movie every single month. So just stay tuned for that. We're going to be doing our manly movie of the month starting in January. <laughs> yeah. Like the manly title. movie of the month. Yeah. The manly movie of the month is basically any film that we just wanted to talk about that doesn't, that we can't shoehorn into our three bullshit rules about what a chick flick is. <laughs> <laughs> and I made the rules, so I can call them that. <laughs> And we are going to be starting with the wonderful film Stop Loss so that I can spend 20 oh, minutes is that the one uh, on, is the, that on the my... One <laughs> is that actually the one we're starting with? Because I started researching a different movie. So i got to <laughs> oh, no, start no, no, no. all over. No, no, no. That's, no, we're not starting with that. That's right. Because Stop Loss falls into our category. It's directed by a woman. I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, I was just like, you threw me there for a second. So Dang which one it. are we That's starting right. with? <laughs> so, so which one are we starting with? I was ready for my 20-minute diatribe on my love for Ryan Phillippe. Um, <laughs> like that you have, like, your tangents planned out in advance. Like, yeah, I'm going to put time aside so I can talk about this obsession. It's, <laughs> it's really the only prep we do for the show. <laughs> Hey, because the, uh, the the movie I was prepping for, I had tangents ready to go. Um, but we are no, but, starting with Lawless, right? Yes, Lawless. That's right. That's our first okay. manly movie. Good. So I can spend twenty minutes talking about my love for Tom Hardy. This is great. And I'm gonna spend a good twenty. Well, I'm gonna spend twenty minutes talking about my love for Nick Cave, and also bring up Gladiator Two. There's a sequel. There almost was. 
Uh-huh. And we're going to talk about it because it is super relevant to what we're going to talk. <laughs> well, it's relevant in to the sense that Nick Cave wrote both screenplays. <laughs> hey, I will say, although we plan out some of our diatribes, our like 20-minute rabbit hole we went down about who is better, Matt Damon or Ben Affleck, was totally spontaneous. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought we were just going to talk about Benifer. No, we went. And we settled on. Another great romance of his life. Yes. And we settled on Casey Affleck is better than both of them. Huh, as an cool. actor, not as a person. <laughs> I just want to make that very clear. All right. All right, well. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Still not on OnlyFans because we haven't hit that level of desperation. I'm going to keep <laughs> going with that joke until we do. <laughs> and um, as always, rate and review. I found out we have a couple of reviews on Apple Podcasts now. Oh, we do? Do yes. I want to know? <laughs> I think they're good. Okay. There's a lot of random tirades, but other than that. (laughs) And and Roxy, thank you for being on the show and going on this journey with me, with us. And hopefully you'll come back. Hopefully we didn't scare you off of doing this show. Absolutely. I am totally down. And next time, hopefully I'll remember more of the movie. All right. Well, next time, maybe we'll let you pick the movie. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. I have ideas. <laughs> All right. So until next week, thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash surviving chick flicks. $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved.